Well, I invite you to open your Bibles with me now to the book of Jeremiah. Over the last two weeks, we have worked through the first chapter of Jeremiah together. We looked first at the story of when the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah for the very first time. It's a story of the day that God called Jeremiah to be his prophet. And then last week, we looked at the second half of chapter 1, where the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah two more times. And each time, God asks Jeremiah, what do you see? I wonder, can you remember what he saw? I'll go ahead. I'll put the two pictures back up on the screen that I showed last week, okay? So here's the first picture. Do you remember what that is? It's the branches of an almond tree, which in Hebrew sounds something like a watcher tree, okay? And then here is the second picture, picture of a boiling pot. And as you might remember, I kind of asked you to imagine that the pot is unstable and it's starting to tilt over toward you from the north to the south. Now, what did those two things mean? See, that's what he sees, but what is the point of those object lessons? Okay, so in the first picture, Jeremiah says, I see the branch of an almond tree or the branch of a watcher tree. And in response, God says, you've seen well because I am watching over my word to do it. Then in the second picture, Jeremiah says, I see a boiling pot and it's tilting toward us from the north. And in response, God says, out of the north, disaster will be let loose on all who live in the land. So those two object lessons <clears throat> were designed by God to help Jeremiah for the rest of his life. I think these are given to him fairly early on. Jeremiah will proclaim the word of the Lord week by week, year by year. But for well over a decade, nothing really bad happens. Because of this, he will be mocked. He'll become a laughingstock among his people. They'll say things to taunt him like, Jeremiah, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come, because they think it's never going to happen. But early each year, when the almond trees would blossom, he'd be reminded of God's promise to him as a young man, I am watching over my word to do it. But the other object lesson, the one about the boiling pot, will also be this constant reminder to Jeremiah that judgment is coming. There's this dark cloud of doom that hangs over Jeremiah's entire ministry. He'll know from his youth that the time is short. Now, that's where we've been so far. Today, we're going to move, move on in Jeremiah. But as you've seen in the bulletin or on the screen, today's sermon on Jeremiah 2 through 24. <clears throat> you might be wondering, what exactly does that mean? I mean, we just did two sermons on chapter 1, and maybe you were starting to, like, calculate this out in your mind. There are 52 chapters. Is this going to be a 100-sermon series? Or, or today, are we really going to cover all 23 chapters today? Okay, so a quick word on what I think the rest of this series is going to look like, okay? You might ask, how long will this series be? Okay, so today is our seventh sermon in this study. My guess is that this will be something like a 
week or 20 sermon study on Jeremiah. But don't hold me to that. I can definitely envision myself saying, this is the 24th sermon in this 20-part series. But this does raise some questions about, like, what are these next sermons going to look like? Why put up a text like that, okay? Because when we're in, you know, letters like from Paul, I typically go verse by verse through the book, but that's not exactly my plan for Jeremiah. We may do that sometimes. But instead, what I want to do most of the time is to work through the book in big sections. And, and next Sunday, I'm going to take a couple minutes at the beginning of the sermon to explain the big sections of the book. But for today, I'll just say I think Jeremiah 2 through 24 is the first big section in the book. It's 23 chapters long. And interestingly, it seems that most of, the tw- first 23, of those 23 chapters are about what Jeremiah preached during his first 23 years of ministry. Now, I'll talk more about that next week, but my plan is not to say everything or cover everything in those chapters today. Instead, I want to take the next couple sermons to take a few of the biggest ideas from that first big section of the book and to just focus in on them. And so, which theme or big idea do you think we're going to talk about today from the first big section, these 23 chapters. Okay. You might have an idea from the PowerPoint. But maybe you remember that is connected to that thing that he saw, that picture that I just showed us, the picture of the boiling pot in the first chapter. What was that all about? Tilting toward them from the north. God says, out of the north, disaster will be let loose. God has determined by Jeremiah's day, by his youth, to bring devastation and disaster on the land, on his own people, for their sins. And what will that look like? A kingdom will come out of the north and will bring Jerusalem and its temple to the ground. Judgment is coming. Judah will fall. This week and next week, I want to press in to that theme. And as you might imagine, this is not a particularly pleasant or popular theme to talk about, that judgment is coming, or in Jeremiah's day, that Babylon is coming, right? Because if I said, which kingdom is going to come from the PowerPoint, we might know. You read in the book, it's going to be Babylon. But here's another question, trivia question, okay? Which king from Babylon will come? Okay, so the, the kingdom will be Babylon, but which king will come? Any ideas? Nebuchadnezzar, okay? And if you're wondering, that is the same guy that is in like lots of cool stories in Daniel, okay? Same guy. Like that, that's going to be the king. The kingdom will be Babylon. The king will be Nebuchadnezzar. So on the one hand, Jeremiah's message is judgment is coming. On the other hand, his message is specifically Babylon is coming. They're like one and the same thing. So in other words, God's judgment in Jeremiah equals Babylon's invasion of the land. That's the way it is throughout the whole book. And the king that will come will be Nebuchadnezzar. So this is one of the main things Jeremiah talks about throughout the whole book, but especially in chapters 2 to 24. God is determined to carry out his own judgment on his own people through the kingdom of Babylon and through its greatest king, Nebuchadnezzar. I don't think you can really understand Jeremiah very well if you don't grasp 
how significant this is in the book. So I did a little investigation this week into how often Jeremiah talks about this. Okay, like how often does Jeremiah talk about Babylon or Nebuchadnezzar? Okay. Or I looked up one other thing because there's another name that Babylon often goes by in the Old Testament. Does anybody know what the name is? There's another, so you could call them the Babylonians or you could call them, anybody, anybody know? The Chaldeans. You ever heard that? Chaldeans? Okay, those are the same, same people group. So I just did this little search, Babylon, Chaldea, Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. How many times do you think Jeremiah talks about them? Any guesses out there? 52 chapter book, big book. Okay. The answer surprised me. Like it was, I knew it was a lot, but it was far more than I thought. Okay. 255 times in the book. So I started looking, okay, that is more than in the rest of the Bible combined. Okay? This is one of the dominant themes in Jeremiah. This book is about that kingdom and that king coming to destroy Jerusalem at God's direction. Okay? Now, for the rest of today and for next week, I want to let this message sink into our ears. The message that judgment is coming, or specifically in Jeremiah, that Babylon is coming. But to start with, I want to actually go back to before Jeremiah's day. Okay? When do you first hear about Babylon in the Bible? <clears throat> so I want to go back before his day. Does anybody have any ideas of when you would get introduced to Babylon in the Bible? Okay. As with many important things in the Bible, you're introduced to them in which book? The book of Genesis, okay? Now, you don't have to go back there. You can, but you don't have to. But I want to highlight two stories that you've probably heard about before. Okay, first, there is a story in Genesis about how Babylon got its name. Okay. Does anyone know where the first reference to Babylon is in the Bible? Okay, what if I told you that it was called initially Babel? Okay? That the story of Babylon begins at the Tower of Babel at the place where people united together against God and where God mixed up the languages and forced people to spread out. You can read about that at the beginning of Genesis chapter 11. That's where they get the name Babel, which becomes Babylon. In, in Hebrew, that sounds like the word confusion, which is connected with that scene of the confusion of the languages. Okay? The second story comes right after that in the Bible. In, in history, it's actually hundreds of years later. <clears throat> but the story comes right after it at the end of Genesis chapter 11, where we are introduced to the first man from Babylon <laughs> that we know about. But in, in that story, it might not come to your mind because the story uses the other name for Babylon, the Chaldeans. We're introduced to a man from a place called Ur, of the Chaldeans. Does anybody know which man that was? He's, he's known as Abram, or better to us, as Abraham. Okay, those are two of the most important stories in Genesis. They're both about Babylon. So on the one hand, even from the beginning, on the one hand, this is where God judged humanity by confusing our languages 
and dividing the nations. But on the other hand, this is also where God promised to rescue humanity by calling out one man from Babylon, a man named Abraham, whom God would use to one day unite the nations. Now, there's a lot more I would like to say about that, but I'm going to leave that there for now. Okay. Those, okay, after those two stories, a long, long time goes by before you ever hear anything specifically about Babylon again. The next time you have a story, an important story, where Babylon is named is like a thousand years later. Okay? It's in the story that I read earlier today in the middle of Isaiah. Okay, now, do you remember that story? Okay, that story is about 75 years before Jeremiah. It's the story of King Hezekiah that we read about in Isaiah 38 and 39. So I'm not going to go back there because we already read it. But do you remember the gist of that story? Maybe you found that story interesting if you've never read it before. Okay? Hezekiah is told, you're going to die. He's a good king, by the way. <laughs> but God tells him through Isaiah, you're going to die. This sickness is going to lead to your death. So Hezekiah pleads with God for longer life. And in response, God heals Hezekiah and tells him, I'm going to give you 15 more years of life. Well, the next thing you know in the story, some messengers show up to congratulate Hezekiah. And where are they from? They are from Babylon. Okay? And then what does Hezekiah do? He's got all these powerful officials, you know, from this foreign kingdom there saying, congratulations, we're so happy for you that you're feeling better. And what does he do? He takes them to every part of his kingdom where he's got anything valuable, and he shows them all of it. So they leave. Isaiah the prophet comes in after this. Hezekiah, what did you show them? Hezekiah is like, well, I showed them everything. I showed them everything we've got. <clears throat> Isaiah says, one day, they'll be back to take it all away. And one day, your own sons are going to be carried away to Babylon. And then Hezekiah says one of the most confusing things, <coughs> sad things, really. What does he say? Good. That's good, because at least it'll be good in my lifetime. That's, his, that's the conclusion of that story in Isaiah. Okay? Now, more could be said about that. But I just wanted, to, I wanted us to see that Jeremiah's message about Babylon is not entirely new. Okay, as far back as Moses' day, there were warnings that one day a nation might come. But by Isaiah's day, that nation was already being named. 75 years before Jeremiah, God specifically says the nation that will carry these people away will be Babylon. But the difference when you get to Jeremiah is that the time has arrived. The time for judgment is here. The kingdom is coming. And its great king is on the way. Now, let's go to Jeremiah. And I want to get a taste of what Jeremiah preached for 23 years about Babylon. <clears throat> and I'll just say that the taste will be bitter. And that's a lot of my goal today. I want us to taste some of the bitterness of the message. I want us to, to feel overwhelmed by the message of doom. I want us to hear enough of it that we start to feel like saying, 
please stop. Please, no more of that. That's what a lot of the people in Jeremiah's own day were saying. But that's actually what Jeremiah often felt. He would say that kind of thing to the Lord. Lord, please, no more. Don't make me say anymore. Now let's start. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 5. So have your Bibles open, because I, I just want you to hear the messages throughout these <clears throat> chapters. So we'll start in Jeremiah chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. Declare in Judah, proclaim in Jerusalem, and say, blow the trumpet through the land, cry aloud and say, assemble, let's go to the fortified cities, raise a standard, which is like a signal flag, toward Zion, flee for safety, stay not, for I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. A lion has gone up from his thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitant. For this put on sackcloth, lament and wail. For the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. And skip down to verse 13. <clears throat> Behold, he comes up like clouds. His chariots are like the whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, for we are ruined. And skip down to verse 18. Still chapter 4. Your ways and your deeds have brought this upon you. This is your doom, and it is bitter. It has reached your very heart. Okay, so then let's come up for, for breath. From, okay, Can you imagine hearing a young man out in the open streets of Jerusalem, preaching this to the people. Okay, think about that. If you went out into our city and someone was talking like this, what would you think? You think, that is a crazy guy out there. Okay, this is what Jeremiah is doing with his life. He's out there in the open air of Jerusalem preaching this kind of stuff. Okay, go to the next chapter, chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. Chapter 5, 15. Behold, I am bringing against you a nation from afar, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. It is an enduring nation. It is an ancient grave, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. Their quiver, like the thing you put arrows in, is like an open tomb. They are all mighty warriors. They will eat up your harvest and your food. They'll eat up your sons and your daughters. They'll eat up your flocks and your herds. They'll eat up your vines and your fig trees. Your fortified cities in which you trust, they will beat down with the sword. Again, for, for years, Jeremiah would preach these kinds of things. Can you imagine? Like everybody could, could hear this. He would be going through these streets. Can you imagine families coming through? with kids, and kids saying, Dad, who, who's that guy over there? What is he talking about? What, what does that mean that people are going to come and eat up our sons and daughters? What would the parents say to that? Sadly, I think from what the story in Jeremiah, how it goes, I think most of the parents were probably saying things like, 
Don't worry about him. He's just that crazy guy from the suburbs who comes down to the big city every once in a while to tell us how bad we are. But don't worry, kids. I've been hearing this guy say that stuff for years, and nothing ever happens. Don't worry about that guy. But I want to stop you. Go to chapter 6. Chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. <clears throat> chapter 6, verse 10. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I'm weary of holding it in. Pour it out on the children in the street, upon the gatherings of young men also. Both husband and wife will be taken, the elderly and the very aged. Their houses will be turned over to others, their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. Now why? Why will it happen? Look at verse 13. Because from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From the prophet to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they will fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they will be overthrown, says the Lord. Now, sadly, a lot of those descriptions could be said about our own day, too, <clears throat> where greed is rampant in our society, where we are taught to always say everything is okay, everything is okay, when at not everything is okay. Whereas our, as a society, we have lost our ability to blush, where there is no shame over sin. But again, you can tell that the people have no interest in what he's saying. The word of the Lord became an object of scorn. They had no pleasure in it. Now, I know we might want to stop reading things like this, but that's part of my, my goal. I want us to read more than what we want to hear. Okay. Jeremiah chapter 6 again, verse 21. Chapter 6, verse 21. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lay before this people stumbling blocks against which they shall stumble, fathers and sons together. Neighbor and friend will perish. Thus says the Lord, behold, a people is coming from the north country. A great nation is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. They lay hold on bow and javelin. They are cruel and have no mercy. The sound of them is like the roaring sea. They ride on horses, set in array as a man for battle against you, O daughter of Zion. Then verse 24 maybe takes you down the road, like to where this is closer. We have heard the report of it. Our hands fall helpless. Anguish has taken hold of us. Pain as of a woman in labor. Don't go out into the field or walk on the road, for the enemy has a sword. Terror is on every side. For many years, people laughed at what Jeremiah said about Babylon. But as those 20 years went by, Babylon got stronger and stronger. 
reports of their violence and of their speed and of their power started coming in faster and faster. And it would not be long until no one was laughing at Jeremiah anymore. Instead of laughter, fear would seize the people because they would now know there was nowhere to run. There was nowhere to hide. You couldn't go into the fortified cities. You couldn't go into the field. Terror was on every side. There are more passages like this all over, Jeremiah 2 through 24. But I'll just read one more today. Probably the hardest of them to read, Jeremiah chapter 19. Jeremiah chapter 19. Again, this is throughout this whole section. But we'll look at one more story, Jeremiah chapter 19. Now, in this story, it's not just Jeremiah out in the open streets. God actually tells him at the beginning, go and find some of the leaders of the people, some of the leaders of the priest, and get them to come with you to this particular valley. The valley was called the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. Because God says, I've got a message for you to give them in that valley. So Jeremiah does. He gets all these leaders of the people together, and he takes them over to this valley. Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 6. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place, like this valley, will no more be called Topheth or the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. It will be called the Valley of Slaughter. And in this place, I will make void the plans of Judah and Jerusalem. I will cause their people to fall by the sword before their enemies, by the hand of those who seek their life. And I will give their dead bodies for food to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the earth. I will make this city a horror, a thing to be hissed at. Everybody who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of all its wounds. And I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and their daughters. Everyone will eat the flesh of their neighbor. I think he's speaking literally, like because of the siege and the distress with which their enemies and those who seek their life afflict them. All of that, by the way, Moses predicted would happen. And now Jeremiah's out there in that valley saying, this is about to happen in our day. Have we gotten there yet? To where we just want to say, please stop. Lord, no more of that. For 23 years, Jeremiah preached this message. Judgment is coming. Babylon is on the way. For many of those years, people laughed at him, but soon news would come that the strongest cities of Judah were starting to fall, one by one. Nebuchadnezzar and his armies were closing in to the capital city. Before long, you could hear the army, just outside the city gates, the pounding of the horses' hoofs. The walls, all the doors are shut, the gates are shut, nobody can go out. The sound of the trumpets are blaring. Before long, the city would be under siege. There would be nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Terror would be on every side. No one would be laughing anymore. But that didn't mean that people, even then, would respond to the message. You might think that they would. You might think that when it became clear that he was right and that they had been wrong, that they would repent, that they would listen. 
But that's not the way things work out. That never happens automatically in the human heart. We, you know, sometimes we think, and I think there's something to this, that when God strips away everything else, when our life is falling apart, that people will come to the Lord. And the Lord can use that, but it's no guarantee. Just that if bad things happen, that people will turn to the Lord. There's not a guarantee of that. That didn't happen for most of the people in Jeremiah's day. Instead, what you find as you read the book is that as the disaster was getting closer and closer right outside their city, they just started to look for other ways out, for other ways to avoid the disaster. And one of the most common solutions they came up with was to put their hope in another nation that could rescue them from Babylon. Surely somebody out there would be strong enough to help them. Surely someone out there would care enough to come to their rescue, that maybe it'd be Assyria, maybe it would be Egypt. Surely someone was out there who could deliver them. See, there is a tendency deep within our hearts to want to trust someone to deliver us, whether that's to trust in ourselves or in a human king or in a powerful nation. But it turns out that there is not a tendency in the human heart to trust in the Lord. No matter how much evidence there is that we should. But that doesn't mean nobody listened to Jeremiah. There were some. You get glimpses here and there in the book, and there's probably more than what we read about in the book. And that leads me to my closing question today, which is what was the right response to this message that he preached for all these years? And what were, like, let's suppose there were some people who actually had ears to hear, because there were, there were some. What was the right response to this announcement that judgment was coming, that Babylon was on the way? Of course, I think we would say the ideal response would have been for the entire nation, from the king all the way down to the lowest people, you know, to, to fall on the ground in humility and repentance and to turn to the Lord. But that didn't, but that didn't happen. So as an individual who's living in a nation that's horrible, what was the right response for an individual who actually listened to what Jeremiah had to say? I think the answer throughout Jeremiah 2 to 24 is very simple. You could summarize it in two words. The first word is repent. Repent now, today. Here are just a few of my favorite lines about this. Just so one text. Jeremiah chapter 3. You can just listen if you want. Verses 12 and 13. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. And I will not look on you in anger, because I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God. What was the right response to his message? The first word is repent. He preaches that throughout these chapters. And the second word is trust. After all, as an individual, what could anyone really do when Babylon came? 
There was nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. The only answer was trust. But the follow-up question would be, trust whom? Right? And here's where I want to take us to one of the greatest texts in this section of Jeremiah. It's going to be our next scripture memory passage. Would you look with me at Jeremiah chapter 17? Jeremiah chapter 17, beginning in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He will dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. But verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. What was the right response to the message of coming disaster? Repent and trust in the Lord. The kingdom of Babylon was drawing near. Their great king was coming, and your only hope is to repent and put your trust in the Lord, in the king of Babylon's king. That did not mean necessarily for these people that every person who trusted in the Lord would it automatically be spared when Babylon came, although that did happen for many. But every person who trusted in the Lord could be assured of this. They could be assured of blessing, of God's favor on them, no matter what happened when Babylon came. And here's where I want to make the connection to our own day as we close. The final judgment the greatest judgment of all is still ahead of us. The day when Jesus comes to judge and to save is still future. And I think as you read through the story of the Bible, what you find is that what Babylon did to Judah was only a shadow of what was to come. You get things like the flood, things like Sodom and Gomorrah, things like what Babylon did to Judah. They are just shadows of the impending disaster for all those who will put their trust in man or in themselves. So what is the right response to this? Because this message is throughout the New Testament. I think if you asked John, the baptizer, or Jesus, or Paul, or Peter, or basically anyone in the New Testament, do you know what answer they would give you? It would be able, you could summarize it in two words. It would be repent from your sins that will condemn you and trust. Trust in whom? 
trust in the king who came into this world not to condemn it, but so that the world could be saved through him. Trust in the king of all kings, the king who died and rose again. Or as Paul might put it, when, when a guy thought judgment was right around the corner and says, guys, what do I need to do to be saved? What does Paul say to him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Don't look within or to any human leader or to any powerful nation. Like Jeremiah says, cursed is the man who puts his trust in man, who makes flesh his strength. But how blessed is the man who puts his trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, would you take this heavy message from Jeremiah about impending disaster? And would you open our eyes, Lord, this week and next especially, to what we see in the New Testament about how there still awaits a coming day of wrath. Help us to have ears to hear. Let all of us who've already fled to Jesus keep fleeing to him. Keep finding our, our rest, our, our hope in him. And Lord, for anyone who would hear this message today, who's been putting their trust in themselves or in some human leader, Lord, would you show them the folly of that, cause them to repent and to put their trust in Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.